Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Cara Lynn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offers plant-based nutrition made with high-quality ingredients. Each Organifi blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with ingredients that are organic and free of fillers and contain less than 3 grams of sugar per serving. Like Organifi green juice with essential superfoods and a clinical dose of ashwagandha. It helps reduce stress and support healthy cortisol levels or Organifi gold, a superfood tea that supports rest and relaxation so you can wake up feeling refreshed. Each Organifi blend is easy to use by simply mixing it with water or your favorite beverage while on the go, and they don't compromise quality for taste. Organifi takes pride in offering the best tasting superfood products on the market at a price that works out to less than $3 a day. You can experience Organifi's high quality superfoods without breaking the bank. Go to www.organifi.com backsplash Lynn and use code Caralyn, K-A-R-A-L-Y-N-N-E, for 20% off any item in the store. That's Organifi.com backsplash Caralyn and code Caralyn for 20% off any item. Dr. Amy Shaw is a double board certified medical doctor and wellness expert specializing in food allergies, hormones, and gut health. Dr. Shaw graduated magna cum laude from Cornell University's renowned School of Nutrition. She went on to receive her medical doctorate with distinction. With training from Cornell, Harvard, and Columbia, she helps busy people transform their health using cutting-edge nutritional and medical science. Her proven techniques to heal inflammation, utilize the power of the microbiome to help digestion, obtain natural hormone balance, and heal food sensitivities. She is a well-known expert on intermittent fasting for women. Thank you, Dr. Shaw, for being here. I am so excited to have you on the show and so excited to talk to you about intermittent fasting. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I love following you on Instagram, and I've learned a lot about intermittent fasting from you, and I know intermittent fasting is quite a trendy topic right now. So just tell my followers a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background, and why you're just so passionate about intermittent fasting. So that's a good question. So my name is Dr. Amy Shah. I am a double board certified MD, and I also was a nutrition major before I went to medical school. So I have kind of that double nutrition and medical background, which is super rare. The only person in my um, nutrition school who actually went to medical school. So it's a rare combination. And when I went through my own personal health crisis and burnout, and I was in such a dark place, I needed to find things that were going to get me out of this place of bloating and brain fog and anxiety and sleep issues um, and feeling like I wasn't myself um, mood wise and um, emotionally. And one of the things that I found that really worked for me was intermittent fasting because I learned about circadian rhythms, which is the 24 hour light and day cycles that our bodies are governed by 80% of our genes are governed by this. So as I started to talk about, you know, changing my diet, the quality of my diet, doing different kinds of exercise, started really talking about the circadian rhythms and intermittent fasting. And that's the piece that people were like, wait a second, 
We've heard about the healthy eating. We've heard about taking out processed foods and sugar, but we have not heard about this other thing that you're talking about. And that's why it became such a big topic um, that I talk, educate people about because it's something very simple that anyone could be doing. So did you get into intermittent fasting after medical school or was it something yeah. you learned about in medical school? You know, the research on intermittent fasting and circadian rhythms, I think the, the Nobel Prize in Medicine went to the researchers on circadian rhythms a few years ago, and then intermittent fasting was uh, the next year. So these are brand new discoveries uh, well after I graduated, and it's still not even close to being mainstream in medicine. Uh, it's something that is still considered kind of new and experimental, uh, but I thought there was enough. I mean, it's free, it's safe, it's healthy. It was something that um, I incorporated right away and saw a difference. But, you know, like exercise, intermittent fasting can mean anything. So there's a lot of nuances and people just didn't know how to put this research into real life. And that's what I started um, to talk about. So let's start at the basics, because what exactly is intermittent fasting? Because we hear a lot about it and some people will talk about an 18 hour fast, a 12 hour fast, you know, you hear all these different things like multiple times a week, every day. So let's start at the basics. What is intermittent fasting? Intermittent fasting is literally taking a break from food. Intermittent fast means you're not fasting all day. You are fasting for part of the night and day. So just like exercise, I like to describe it as something as short as 12 hours, meaning you just don't eat overnight or something as long as 18 or 24 hours, which means you don't eat practically all day. And so just like exercise, there's a marathon and there's a 20 minute hit training or there's a yoga. I mean, there's so many different flavors and um, intensities and types and depends on how some people do something called dry fasting, which is no water. Some people do a modified water fast, which means water plus some food. Um, so there's so many different varieties. And I realized that this world of intermittent fasting was so unclear, trendy, yet very unclear. And so that's why I stepped in. So are there benefits to the different schedules or is there like a common schedule that most people should be on? Okay. So I think there is a common schedule that most people would benefit from, which is the overnight fasting. So our bodies evolutionarily and biologically are not meant to be digesting food late into the night. And first thing in the morning, if you think about it, you know, when we, in our hunter gatherer days, we were probably, you know, there's no refrigerators or 24 hour drive-throughs and microwaves at late at night. So you really eating the bulk of your food before the sun went down and maybe a little bit after, but really fasting uh, pretty much from uh, two to three hours before bed overnight. And then you don't just roll out of bed. They didn't just roll out of bed and like have, you know, bagel and coffee. They actually, you know, foraged for their food. And um, maybe it was a couple of hours, one, two, three hours after they woke up, that they would have their first meal, right? So biologically we are wired actually to take breaks from food our digestive system needs a break. Um, just like our brains need sleep, our digestive system needs time to renew and repair. Um, and that's what happens overnight. So I think for most people, even newbies can really benefit from just a 12 hour fast, which means that maybe you stop eating at 7 p.m. 
and you don't eat again until 7 a.m. Say you wake up at six, but you don't eat your first meal until seven, um, something simple like that. And then it's up to you. If you want to, like with exercise, if you want to, wanted to run that marathon or the ultra marathon, or um, you want to try to do the least possible and get the most benefit, it just depends on what you want to achieve at that point. So what I found is I'm busy. I'm a mom, I'm a physician. So I was trying to find out, okay, what is the easiest thing I could be doing? And that is really what I call like a circadian fast, which means we follow um, the signals of the sun, which matches our biological rhythms. Okay. So that's really interesting. And if you are following the rhythms of the sun, do you eat breakfast? Yeah, so I actually do eat breakfast. It's just a little delayed. So for example, when I wake up, what I recommend to people is get some natural light. So maybe it's not right when you wake up, but you shower or whatever, brush your teeth, and you walk outside for a few minutes, even at eight to 10 minutes, or just a couple minutes of direct light, even if it's cloudy outside, is great for resetting that circadian rhythm and telling the brain it's time to wake up. Um, there are <clears throat> neurons in our retina that go directly to our hypothalamus, to our circadian centers of the brain and tell the body, okay, it's time to wake up, it's time to focus, think. And that's why people feel happier when they spend a lot of time in the sun. It's also appetite suppressant. So people who are really dealing with cravings and um, appetite issues, you that morning sunlight can be very, very helpful uh, because uh, another form called melanopsin um, gets released also when you see light and that also triggers um, some pathways in your body. Uh, to have better control over um, cravings and appetite. So after I get some sun, sometimes I'll do a full fasted workout, which is what I recommend if you have time. It doesn't have to be in the sun, but it can be um, after you see, look at the sun. So for example, if you're doing an indoor workout, it might be like a couple of minutes before you go into your indoor workout in the morning, you um, do a little bit of mindfulness and breathing, get your input of sun or daylight into the retina, and then you're moving your body, for 45 minutes, say, and then you break your fast. And that's kind of like the ideal scenario for both your digestion and maximizing the benefits of fasting. Because fasting, we first deplete all our sugar stores. And for a lot of us, we have a lot of sugar stores. And once we deplete the sugar stores while we're sleeping, we meet, maybe need to reach into the liver to get the glycogen stored sugar stores. And once that's done, that's when we have really a cool magical switch that goes on that kind of puts you into a different kind of that fat burning mode or what they call the metabolic switch um, in, the, in the literature. That seems to be the biggest benefit of intermittent fasting. Now, the metabolic switch can be turned on actually if you fasted, say, overnight, you didn't have a very carb heavy dinner. And then you wake up and then you start to work out, which also requires a lot more blood sugar than just sleeping. And all of a sudden you're tearing through those glycogen stores and now you need to switch. Um, and uh, that metabolic switch gets turned on. And that's really the magic of intermittent fasting. That's when you get all the big benefits downstream, including things that have nothing to do with the fasting longevity, anti-aging, improved brain health, improved cardiovascular health. Uh, so that's kind of the goal. Unfortunately, we don't have a way to check if that switch is um, turned on. We just kind of create the condition to best uh, have that scenario. 
Okay, so I want to ask you a couple things about what you just said. So first of all, when that metabolic switch comes on, is that then when you're burning fat for your energy rather than the sugars, correct? Yes. And so for people that are wanting to lose weight, that is why it's a benefit. Yeah. So um, it's a benefit not only for weight loss, but also for those downstream changes that get turned on when um, that metabolic switch happens. Kind of what people used to think is intermittent fasting is just good because you're eating less calories, but this metabolic switch seems to be the real benefit. Okay. So then my second question about that Mm -hmm. is working out in the morning. I know a lot of trainers out there say, have some food before you come so that you've got energy to do your workout. So you would advise against that. Yeah, if you're someone who's trying to maximize this process and get that, the benefit of that metabolic switch that happens, you probably are better off not eating any food or very, very light food. Um, if you need something, it's really a myth and something that's debunked multiple times. And so even elite athletes know now that unless they're doing a very intensive over you know, 75 minute workout, they don't need to be fueled with food um, or snacks. Okay. That's good to know. So now let's just say women or anyone really, but if women go to the gym in the morning and they're intermittent fasting and they do their workout, should they continue to do intermittent fasting for a few more hours or should they fuel their body with something after the workout? Yeah. So most of us, um, me included, we're trying to balance this intermittent fasting with muscle gain, or, you know, you want to kind of preserve slash increase the muscle, especially as we age. And the time to feed yourself is within an hour after finishing your workout. If you're trying to do that, if you're someone who is just focused on anti-aging, wants to maximize the benefits of fasting, and you're not really concerned about building muscle, which most of us should be, but you know, if you're not, then you can continue to fast. And as you know, people fast throughout the day. Sometimes they don't even break it until late at night. Um, But for a lot of us who are busy trying to maximize, trying to do the shortest fast with the maximum benefits and the shortest workout and the, you know, when to time our food for most maximal protein synthesis, that would be uh, about an hour after that workout. So, you know, basically what I do is I time um, the break of my fast to coincide with about, you know, pretty much 30 to 45 minutes after my workout. Okay. That's really good to know. So if people want a longer intermittent fasting and they're working out, trying to gain muscle, they should maybe start their intermittent fasting later that night. I mean, earlier Earlier that night. Yes. Yes. So the key here is um, what I, I teach my like private coaching clients is that the key here is maybe to find two or three days a week, maybe Monday, Wednesday, Friday, where you can have a really early dinner or um, what you know, some people call skipping dinner, which basically means having a protein shake or some kind of meal late in the afternoon and not really eating much of a dinner at all, or eating a super light dinner um, to maximize those hours um, and try to get some more evening hours. In fact, we know that the more you fast in the evening hours, the better your fat loss will be if that's your main goal. So if you, if I'm working with someone and their main goal is to lean out and lose some of that fat, maybe change their um, relationship with food, which um, I'll, I, I'll explain after this, then I ask them to have their meals earlier in the evening, at least a few days a week, uh, depending on their schedule. And, you know, the relationship with food that I'm alluding to is that 
33% of our calories in our American diet are eaten after 8 p.m. Oh, wow. And that is, yeah, and that's, you know, snacks, that's drinks, that's alcohol, that's food that we have been conditioned to crave uh, because these companies know, you know, to place ads for foods in Netflix commercials or, you know, ads on online. And we know that these cravings pathways are very, very strong, very similar to drug pathways um, in terms of how it creates a dopamine response. And the thing is, you don't have to be hungry to be craving, right? Like what I learned, what was so shocking to me is like the craving pathways are absolutely separate from the hunger pathway. And so you could be full, you could have eaten dinner, but you can have a craving for something that gives you that dopamine drip and it has nothing to do with nutrition or hunger. It's all to do with these pathways that were either created by, you know, your childhood, by companies that kind of tricked you into it, or just, you know, yourself and your habits uh, that you've seen other people in your family or friends do. And so recognizing this, and one of the side effects of circadian fasting or having an early dinner was I had to deal with my own, you know, neuronal pathways that were set from when I was a kid of having like popcorn or dessert at night. And it was really tough. But once I did that, it was so freeing because now, yes, I can have that once in a while, but I don't need it. And that dopamine need, that craving is almost um, part pleasure, but part negative. Like you get almost this anxious stressed feeling when you feel those cravings. And so to be free of those pathways is, is another really great, important benefit of intermittent fasting, at least the way I prescribe it. I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people that try intermittent fasting actually say that that's the hardest part. And I get it because at night it's those cravings are emotional sometimes, right? Especially like moms, working moms, just working people, you're exhausted, you come home, they want to sit on the couch and relax and enjoy a treat while they watch a show or something. Yeah. When I learned like, oh, this is a dopamine drip. So now I know there's certain foods that I have, especially at night that create that dopamine response. And, you know, it's not about eliminating them from your life. It's about recognizing that and recognizing that we have been conditioned and, you know, food companies knew. So for example, in the 60s, 70s and 80s, you know, soda companies and uh, processed food companies would sponsor a lot of games and baseball games and uh, other events. So children would equate those things with fun, you know? And so when you go to a fun event, you want to eat those things because you associate that with fun. And really recognizing our own patterns and things that we've learned over the years um, and trying to break them. That was part of the interesting side benefit of all this. That makes sense. So if someone is listening and they're like, okay, a 12 hour fast is easy. That's just what I've done naturally. What do you suggest to them to try next? Just extend those hours longer and longer? Okay. So in my book, so I wrote a book called I'm so effing tired. It came out in March and the way I prescribed it in there is that every other day. So I say Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Okay. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you do a push fast, meaning that instead of doing your 12 hours or 13 hours, which may be kind of now second nature to you, you push yourself a little further. And maybe that is 14 hours. Maybe that's 16 hours. 
and you can do those. The nice thing about alternating it is it kind of gives your body a break, just like you don't want to do high intensity exercise every single day and you can work up to that. But you definitely, I actually still find a lot of benefit in alternating the hours of fasting. Um, and I even base it on my cycle. Um, so women who are menstruating, you will notice certain times of your cycle, you will crave different things. You'll have different energy levels. And it's so sad that we live in this world where it's still taboo to like talk about periods and talk about hormones and what you, you know, when you should fast, what you should eat, because it's literally health information for women. And we have very different metabolisms and energy levels and needs uh, different parts of our cycle, and we can actually help ourselves. Um, so for example, right before your period called the late luteal phase, like the week before your period, every woman who's ever had a period knows this time. It's when you have less energy, you're fatigued and you're much less stress resilient, meaning that anything stresses you out, you can't do the stressful workouts and you just feel a lot more stress and anxiety in those times. So those are the, that's the week that you really want to back off on the fasting, meaning that whatever it is for you, whatever easy is for you, that's what you want to stick with. And it may just mean no fasting at all. And really that's a time to do more self-care, nature time, nurture and eat so unfortunately, although we crave a lot of sugary, starchy foods, we're actually, we're not insulin sensitive as insulin sensitive during this time. So you want to make sure that the foods that you choose that maybe have more of a comforting effect, have a lot of fiber and really um, can blunt that insulin response, something like a sweet potato or root vegetables. Those are great foods during this time and uh, do less fasting. And then once you get your period about day two or three, when you get your energy back, just go for it. Do the shorter fast, alternating with push fast. Do your um, more intense workout regimen. Um, maybe that's a time to um, take on some more challenging projects. And um, you can really go through, and we naturally kind of do this by default because we don't feel good, you know, that week before, so we push things off. But if you can plan around it, you'll get the most benefit. Oh, that's good to know. So basically the week of PMS is how women know it. That's the week to take it easy and just focus on self-care and good foods. Yeah. And the misnomer, the big debunked. So when intermittent fasting became very popular, everyone on the internet was saying, you shouldn't fast when you're on your period. And, um, and actually, that's actually wrong. We all know that the miserable time where we're really stress resistant um, is that week before the period. And then after day two or three of your period, you start to get your energy levels back. You're not necessarily in the best, um, you know, you may have other things you're dealing with, but energy and stress resistance improves um, pretty soon right after you get your period. And so that's the time that you want to start to put things into place again your health practices, and you can really even mentally, physically, uh, metabolically uh, have a little more of a push during that time. And if you're postmenopausal for people who are either don't get their periods or are postmenopausal, you're always in that kind of um, stable state. That's why we think that men and postmenopausal women do much better with fasting than um, menstruating women because of these hormonal fluxes. Okay, that's good to know. So let me ask you about the health benefits of intermittent fasting, because now people know what intermittent fasting is, 
But then there's so many myths out there as to what it's good for and what it's not good for. So what are some of the health benefits of intermittent fasting? So there are gut benefits, improved gut health, microbiome health, because you're resting the gut. Um, You have brain benefits, increased BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factor, improved um, heart disease risk, uh, lowered blood pressure, improved cholesterol. Um, There are um, anti-inflammatory benefits, skin benefits. So in fact, you know, our skin has a circadian rhythm as well. And so eating and living to that circadian rhythms can be really beneficial if you know, that's kind of a motivating factor for a lot of people, women, especially like, oh, um, I'll look younger, I'll feel younger. Uh, so our anti-aging pathways, so our aging pathways, one of the ways, you know, exercise is a great way to turn on the anti-aging pathway, sleep, um, stress control, and intermittent fasting. It's like one of the only other things that um, really uh, helps with that anti-aging pathway. And we know through many, many studies that you know, these are some of the only things that actually anti-age a cell. Uh, intermittent fasting, when it turns like there's a process called autophagy, where the cell actually cleans up itself, um, like a garbage deep cleaning of the cell. And the way we age cells under the microscope is through how clean they look. So a cell that has undergone autophagy looks younger um, under the microscope and we age it younger. And so you literally anti-age the cell by going through this autophagy process, which is what happens when you do intermittent fasting. Okay. Talking about health benefits, you've touched upon this a little bit, but insulin resistance and intermittent fasting, because a lot of Americans are dealing with insulin resistance. So will you just touch on the basics really quick of what insulin resistance is and how intermittent fasting helps it? So Insulin resistance is the fact that we have so much sugar that's trying to get into our cells and our cells are so bloated with sugar. It can't even accept any more cell, uh, any more sugar. And so what you're doing is your cells are bloated with sugar and there's more sugar that's like knocking on the door and we can't get it into the cell. I mean, it's not physically even possible to get fit more into the cell and like everything's maxed out. And so if you think about it very simply, biologically, say you stop eating and you start using up some of that sugar or you go for a walk, you exercise, you fast, you're going to start saying those bloated cells are going to start using their internal sugar to get that energy out. And they're going to be able to accept more sugar in finally. And so this is a very clear cut tool to improving insulin resistance. Just like exercise, fasting is a way to simply improve the body's ability to take in sugar because instead of being bloated and maxed out with sugar that unfortunately our bodies are for so many of us, you're allowing some time for the body to actually use up that sugar. You explained that so well. The best I've heard that explained. And insulin resistance actually is a contributing factor to many health issues out there, correct? In fact, all the diseases of the modern world, you'd say obesity and heart disease and diabetes and cancer. I mean, every brain health, 
insulin resistance is the driver behind all of these diseases. Wow. And it seems like it's a pretty easy fix. It's yeah, nothing I mean, it's, huge it's, and complex. You know, but as you know, it's easier said than done. Like, you know, exercise seems so easy. Uh, you know, it, intermittent fasting seems so easy. Eating healthy. These are all solutions that, you know, we've tried in so many ways uh, to tell people and teach people. And I see it in my own kids because, listen, we're in a world where we're bombarded by signals and foods and um and triggers to keep us sedentary, to keep us eating foods that create this insulin bloating effect. And if you offer a child a hyperpalatable food and then you offer them an apple, I mean, naturally, I mean, it's instinct for them to pick the food that's more palatable, that tastes delicious. It's gonna pro provide them with tons more sugar and calories and dopamine bursts. And what you end up doing is inadvertently, they start to choose those foods more and more and more. And in our world, unfortunately, there's like no regulation around that. And so we're left with a world that could benefit from simple fixes. And sometimes like me and you, like you have to go through your own journey and finally figure out like, okay, it's time to break the cycle and not be addicted to these foods. And take away some of these uh, insulin uh, spiking foods or at least reduce them and maybe do more movement, do more intermittent fasting, eat higher fiber foods, even though our palates may not be used to it. So I see it every day. I mean, I deal with it in my kids and I'm always constantly educating them. Like, I know that it tastes better, but you really want to choose whole foods with more fiber. And, um, and so it's, it, I, I see the struggle. It is a struggle. And I shouldn't say it's easy because... It wasn't easy to me at first, for sure, because I wasn't educated on it. When I first started yeah. my health journey, I mean, I ate Lucky Charms for breakfast and a Lunchable for lunch and some frozen thing for dinner. Who knew if I yeah. ever got a fruit or vegetable in? And so I, I shouldn't have said it's easy. I get it. It is a very hard struggle. But if we will educate ourselves on it and really try, it may not be as hard as we think. I mean, I see it in my family, my husband, who's a GI and he's a gastroenterologist, which is like, shouldn't, I mean, we should know all this stuff, but we it lived uh, a life of very, very processed foods and like living on snacks and uh, easy calories because we were always so busy in our training years and clinical years. And he said, oh, I feel so much better when I eat like oatmeal or protein shake for breakfast than I did when I used to just go to the lounge and grab like a donut because I forgot to bring anything with me, you know, in the morning. And it's, it's like, you know, the super looking back at it, it's like, yeah, of course, but we live like that for so many years. Right. Are there any benefits hormonally? Cause there's a lot of women out there who struggle with hormonal imbalance. So could this help at all? Yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. Okay. So what I describe in my book um, is that your hormones and your gut health are like intimately tied. It's not like we are imbalanced hormones and then you have gut health. It's like the same thing. So our gut bacteria in our bodies, they modulate estrogen, they remove, they can do, you know, they can help modulate the levels. And so when you improve your gut health, you improve your hormone health. So that's one thing that happens with intermittent fasting. And then um, with intermittent fasting, we have to remember that just like exercise, I keep bringing up exercise because it's the same kind of 
hormone stressor that intermittent fasting is. So what I, and so it's easy to understand. When you stress your hormones a little bit, give your body a little bit of stress, you can get a lot of downstream benefits. So, and what people know is exercise, right? You, you know, you do the workout and your muscles are tired, they're stressed, your hormones feel it, your body feels it, but the benefits are well beyond just the muscle gain. There's so many other benefits and same with intermittent fasting. It's a hormonal stressor in the short term because yeah, it's like uncomfortable. You feel a little hungry, but in the long term, it's really great because it creates all these changes and metabolic. It's almost like exercise for your metabolism. And so you get stronger as you start doing it. So hormones are one of the reasons people say you shouldn't do intermittent fasting. But what I say is actually, it's a reason you should do intermittent fasting. I do hear that quite often that if you have hormonal issues, you shouldn't do intermittent fasting. So why is that a myth out there? Because if you think about it, when you are really stressed out in a high cortisol state and you try to run 10 miles, you're going to do some damage to your body. Same thing. That's what happens with intermittent fasting. People will be exhausted, stressed. They haven't slept in days. They have a poor diet. And then they try to do like a 16 hour fast Mm. on top of that. And so that's not good when you're stressed out, your body is not able to carry any more stress and you try to give it another stressor and, you know, been there, done that. If anybody has tried intermittent fasting, you've probably failed. If you've tried to do a really long fast right off the bat, especially if you're like me and you, you know, busy people who have stressful lives and maybe they don't take care of their stress levels and sleep as well as they should. And they have um, lots of things going on. And so that's why I tell people to start with these easy overnight circadian fasting and work themselves up. You would never, ever go from the couch to running a marathon or even 20, you know, 10 miles on the first day. And so what happens is the reason why everybody gets all these bad effects from intermittent fasting is they try to run that marathon on the first day. And then they're like, I feel like crap. And of course you do. You're going to be injured. You're not going to feel good. And that's really the problem. I am so glad you explained that because I sometimes feel guilty because I'll hear like, oh, an 18 hour fast is so good. So I'll try it and I feel miserable. So I'm like, I hate this intermittent fasting stuff. So I'm so glad you said I can start at 12 hours and then work to 13, 14, 15, and I'll, it will become easier as I go that way. Right. In fact. Okay. So there was, um, Ruth Patterson has a study on breast cancer survivors, and she knew this data on intermittent fasting and how it could be really beneficial, but breast cancer survivors, they're very frail and they're not willing to do long fasts. And so she did a very moderate, easy fast, 13 hours, and they just did 13 hours of fasting. And, um, the other group just had like regular dietary, um, advice. And she found a 30 Four percent reduction in breast cancer recurrence. In wow! That was just doing that really simple thirteen-hour overnight fast, and so that's I say I live kind of closer to the thirteen to fourteen-hour mark most of the time, rather than because I start earlier in the evening and I um, end it earlier in the day, and I find that that gives me the benefits I need. And like you said, 
you see all these people doing 18 hour fasts and doing great. And that's great. It's like, when I see people doing a triathlon, I'm like, awesome. But that's not for me. You know, like, right. That's yeah. That's great for you. If, but I, you don't need to be running that triathlon or doing that Ironman or because the benefits really start super, super earlier than much, much simpler than that. So good to know. Is there a benefit though, to doing a one day, like full 24 hour fast? Cause I do hear that also like take one day a week and do a 24 hour fast. Yeah, there's great data from the Mormon population. So they do a Sunday fast, uh, dinner to dinner, like Saturday to Sunday. And awesome, amazing cardiovascular benefits, anti-inflammatory benefits. Is that something that's interesting to you? Then do it. I do it once a month or once every few weeks where Saturday night dinner, you end your meal um, at whatever time. And then you don't eat again until Sunday night dinner. And it's a nice way to kind of push yourself to that next level. If you're looking to push yourself to that next level is how I would phrase it. Okay. So now my next question for you is, and this is another topic discussed quite a bit. When you break your fast, what are the best foods to eat? Or can you eat anything when you break your fast? Remember um, when we inadvertently fast, like, you know, when I was younger and I was in med school and I would, you know, not have time to eat breakfast and then lunch would come along and I would be ravenous and I would pick pasta and bread and soda and um, the worst things because you, as you know, and I know your brain signals fullness about 20 minutes after you start eating. So you can eat a whole lot of crap in those 20 minutes, especially when you're that hungry and depleted. So the way I tell people, especially if they're new to this, is break your fast gently. Like you might, for me, like when I'm leaving the gym, I'm usually showering and going to work. And so I don't have time to sit down and have like a huge meal um, and it's good. So what I do is like, sometimes I'll have a smoothie with everything in it. Um, other times I like to, like I like to chew my food and I like to have it like separate. So I'll have some berries and I'll have some nuts and I'll have a chai and I'll have water and I will like have all that as, and some maybe some, raw veggies with hummus or like some edamame or something like a small, like a small meal to break my fast or sometimes oats if I'm feeling hungrier, protein shake. So some of those are like all ideas for how to break your fast, something that's kind of gentle on your stomach and not going to make that insulin like go sky high in the crash, which is what happens when we have like a big bagel and, um, you know, huge sandwich or like tons of refined carbohydrates or chips or soda or cookies. And so I recommend that you kind of ease your body back into it. Don't do something that's going to spike your insulin to the sky. And then maybe uh, one or two hours after you break that initial fast, then you have like your big lunch or your big late breakfast or whatever you want to call it. And that would be ideal. So if you don't want your insulin to spike, which makes sense because you've brought it down by fasting so that you can not use your sugars and use your fat yeah. for your energy, do you want to maybe focus on more fats and protein in the morning to yes. keep that insulin down? And in fact, like we were talking about that fasted workout and having your protein timed um, at that first meal. So fat and protein first with fiber is like the best combination of foods to be having when you break your fast. So why is there a myth out there that 
intermittent fasting leads to eating disorders or does it? Yeah. I mean, it exacerbates eating disorder. If you're looking for a reason to not eat this, you know, this could be something that could be triggering for people. So if they've had a history of eating disorders, they should not be doing this. If you have a relationship with food that can get out of control, you need to fix that first. And, you know, so many of us, uh, so many women and men can relate to having disordered eating or having a bad relationship with food. And it's something that you'll have to work through when you try this. And that's why I kind of recommend um, another reason I recommend that overnight fasting kind of reset your body, go back to the basics, like how our body is supposed to function and see what you're dealing with there. I know that when I tried my first 12 hour overnight fast, it sounded so easy. It was so hard. I mean, I had all kinds of issues both in the evening and in the morning that I had to work through and before I could move any further. Um, and so it's not for everyone. It's definitely not for everyone. If you have a diagnosed food disorder, you know, this is not something that maybe you can play with. And so if it's not good for some, what about children and teenagers? Is intermittent fasting good for them or is this just for adults? Well, you don't want, so the growth and the longevity pathways are opposed. So um, meaning that the things that we do for growth are almost the opposite of the things we do for longevity. So fasting is on the longevity aspect. And so if you're a growing child, you don't really want to be um, on the fasting bandwagon. Now, if you're someone like me, who tells her kids like, oh, let's not eat something after dinner, you know, some very gentle, like, food behavioral rules that could be considered an overnight fast is, is fine, but you really don't want to um, do it like pregnant women. So anyone who's focused on growth, children, pregnant women, um, you don't want to be doing something that is opposing growth, which is longevity. But when you're fully grown and you're trying to not grow cancer cells and not grow tumor, you know, not grow diseases, you want to focus on the longevity side. I'm so glad you said that because there's conflict out there, whether you should feed your children breakfast before school yeah. because of this intermittent fasting thing. So obviously you should feed them a good nourishing breakfast to send them off to school. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big fan of breakfast. I mean, study after study, there's a study called that actually called the big breakfast study that shows that more of your calories should be located. So, at, you know, that old saying of um, breakfast, like a king and lunch like a prince and dinner like a pauper is actually medically correct. Oh, I love that analogy. Queen, princess, and um, pauper. Yeah, I love that. So breakfast still happens when you do intermittent fasting. Your breakfast just may be at 10 or 11, 12, yeah. wherever, whenever you break your fast. Absolutely. And I think that remembering that biology of how our bodies work, circadian rhythms, we digest the most, the I, most ideal digestion um, happens during the daylight hours. So really trying to cluster your calories towards the middle of the day um, and have lower, you know, less calories at the end of the day is the ideal scenario. That's good to know. I need to focus on that. I yeah. love a big dinner. So I need to focus on a big lunch rather uh, than know, a big you, dinner. You're like my husband. I think for many, many years, it really was he's like, I don't know how you do this. This is so hard. It really takes like a mental shift. And what he does is exactly what I alluded to before. Some people, they can't do, do a small dinner. And so what he does is on his busy days, clinical days, 
he just skips dinner. So that means that, you know, he'll have a big meal at lunch and then have um, a meal like late in the afternoon, but then nothing at dinner time. So a lot of Americans deal with like bloating and gas and digestive issues at night, especially. So focusing more of the calories in the middle of the day could really benefit those. Yeah. And there's a, you know, you'll see if you have ever had reflux, acid reflux or bloating. I mean, one of the first suggestions is to not eat late at night. And that's just biologically correct. We shouldn't be eating. Our culture is focused on big dinners and late night food. And um, we just need to shift that a little bit, especially if we're looking for better health. I am so glad you have spent a little time here on my show. I have learned a lot from you and I know my followers have definitely learned some things. Tell them a little bit about, you have a 14 day guided intermittent fasting program, right? Yeah, actually what I really just launched that has been so amazing is a free 60 day challenge on my site. It's on amymdwellness.com. It's free. There's no like catch to it. You don't have to buy anything or do anything. It's like, so basically what happened is I, so many people kept asking me, like, I read your book, but I need some more stuff. I'm not ready to commit to one-on-one coaching. Like, what is this? And so I just made a bunch of videos, like really simple steps day by day. Because as you know, we can't do a lot of things at once and a little step every day. So you get an email, little message, um, what to do that day. And um, you kind of stack it, habit stacking. And it's something that I feel really proud of because it's free and accessible to anyone. Um, it kind of goes hand in hand with my book. And I think it can be a really, uh, like a deeper dive into everything we've been talking about today. What a great resource. I'm going to have to go check, check that out. out. Yeah. yeah, for sure. That sounds great. So I always close by asking my guests what they have found to be the best ingredient in life. I, I thought about this you know, what I've been really focusing on and uh, through my health journey, what's really opened my eyes is that the true ingredient, the secret ingredient to life is finding peace, peace with your body, peace with where you're at, peace. It's not just about being happy and elated. It's about finding um, peace. That is so good. That is actually something that I've been working on just with peace of all the chaos in the world and peace with work things and peace with getting older and exercising. I mean, there's so many things. So I to be love, yeah. yes, I love that you said that. And I hope others will really try to find peace in their life because it's true. That can make you feel healthier and happier. So thank you so much for saying that. Thank you. Also, where can my listeners find you? Yeah. So I'm at amymdwellness.com and um, I'm over at fastingmd on Instagram. And I'm at Amy Shot MD on Twitter or Facebook. I have loved talking to you. I have loved following you on Instagram. Um, if you are listening right now, go give her a follow. You will learn a lot. Go check out her 60-day intermittent fasting program. And I'm sure we will all learn a lot from that program. So thank you again, Dr. Shaw, for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus, get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram.